Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and today I'm joined by Dr. Roy Collins. Hi, Roy. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. You know, Roy, I heard someone say recently that podcasting is what men in their 30s do because they don't know how to have meaningful conversations otherwise. <laughs> and uh, I think that's pretty much true. So <laughs> we've had a meaningful conversation before. Yes. But I wanted to introduce you to our listeners because I think you have a lot to share and a lot to contribute. And uh, and personally, I'm, I'm a little interested in hearing a little bit more about this particular topic we're going to talk about and your contribution to it. So... Um, Roy, first of all, let me just have you introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, give us some of your, your life story, background, and what you're currently involved in. Sure. I'd be happy to. And, and thank you, uh, Pastor Nick, for letting me come this morning. I was born in Oklahoma. My father was kind of a rolling stone. And it's interesting when I said that to a class I was teaching one time, that my father was a rolling stone. This tells you how out of, out of touch I am. Someone came to me later and said, oh, which one of the rolling stones was your father? And I said, no, I was, my dad was just moved all the time. Sometimes he had to and sometimes uh, he just wanted to. But I grew up all over the United States. I lived in California and in Arizona and New Mexico and Texas and Kansas and Oklahoma Back, back and forth, back and forth. But finally graduated from high school in a little town called Okima, which is about uh, 60 miles due east of Oklahoma City. It was a good thing for us. My dad was not home. He left. And so his mom and we three children. But it was a good experience because the high school was so small, I got to participate in everything. I played football and basketball and ran track and was on all the teams, not because I had talent, but because they needed bodies. Left there and immediately joined the Air Force, and for the next eight years, I was a weather weather observer, and then they sent me back to school and became a weather forecaster. I was stationed overseas, came back to a place called Big Spring, Texas, way out in West Texas, and there a local pastor began to visit with me. I was an atheist at the time violent atheist, writing papers on atheism and agnosticism. But he began to visit with me. We became friends, and as a result of that, I finally accepted Christ. In about uh, 19, I, I was about probably 20 or 21 years old. Had never been in church, didn't know anything about church. Immediately um, started studying the Bible, started preaching, and within about six months was a pastor of a local church, which was devastating. That's a brand new subject that we need to talk about some other time. I uh, then started uh, my education. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in, uh, uh, in uh, religion. Did a master's in divinity and uh, have a D-man, a doctorate of ministries. For the next about 25 years, I pastored. Uh, and then after retirement from that, I joined an international church consulting firm and consulted with churches all over the United States and Canada, Alaska, Hawaii, uh, for almost 26 years and then retired from that. During that time, I met with the leadership of over a 1,000 churches across the United States. Retired from that, and within about six months, I was recruited to teach at Colorado Christian University, and I taught for them for 11 years. 
and recently have retired from that and now am a Sunday school teacher and happy doing that. That's great, Roy. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am interested in hearing about your devastating experience as a, as a church pastor um, in another podcast, so I'm going to take you up on that. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more about specifically this topic of biblical interpretation. You said you taught it for 11 years, and um, I, I wonder if you could maybe tell our uh, audience, our listeners, a little bit about why you're passionate about the topic of biblical interpretation. Why that topic? If you have a doctor in ministry, was that the only opening that was available, or was it something that you wanted to teach on? Well, it, uh, it's a great desire of my heart, but I almost fell into it accidentally because I've taught a number of subjects for CCU, for Colorado Christian University. But as it, the years passed on, that wide range of subjects became more and more narrow until I ended up almost exclusively teaching biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. The reason that it became so important to me was twofold. Number one, to sharpen my skills at biblical interpretation, and then to help those students that were coming into my classes and going out of my classes, to help them because I would have a a wide range of students, students that uh, knew the Bible, students that uh, were in their early 20s, students that were in their late 60s, atheists, agnostics, Uh, from almost every uh, development concerning the Bible that you can imagine. I I remember hearing years ago, and probably this is almost like a proverb, a man told me or said to me or told me about this when he said, a a person picked up the Bible and said, I do not know what it means, but I know it does not mean what it says. And I think there are many, many, many people who have an agenda, who pick up the Bible, and within that agenda start interpreting the Bible. I know this is what I believe, so I'm going to superimpose my belief upon the Bible and somehow prove it, just eisegesis as opposed to exegesis. So that's really how I became so terribly interested in it and have spent the last, uh, well, the last 60 years trying to understand all that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So uh, what would you say, if I were to ask you, what do you consider to be the most important thing you would want to share with people in regard to interpreting the Bible? Are there one or two really key things that you would want to say yeah. as a professor, here's what you need to know? Yeah, let me, let me give you something. Uh, we were talking about earlier, Pastor, you and I were talking about Graham Goldsworthy, and he's relatively new to me. He's a theologian out of Australia. He wrote a little book called Gospel and Kingdom, and in that, on um, in chapter 9 called The Kingdom Revealed in Jesus Christ, he talks about um, the whole of the Bible, the Old Testament interprets the New Testament, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. And then he said this, and let me give you a couple of quotations from it because I think this is at the key, at the heart of all the, sub, the, the subject for interpretation. And this is a quote. He said, talking about the old and the new, it also 
uh, is a demand that the whole Bible be understood in the light of the gospel. It means that Jesus Christ is the key to the interpretation of the whole Bible. And the task before us is to discern how, emphasize how, he interprets the Bible. Then he goes on to say as he concludes this little section, Obviously, we need to be clear about the gospel itself if we are to be clear about the significance of Christ for interpreting the Bible. So what Goldsworthy is saying is our job in understanding how to interpret the Bible is to understand how Jesus interpreted the Bible. So the key is we need to study how he unfolded how he understood the scripture because the gospel and the Jesus is the key. Jesus Christ is the key to opening all understanding for scripture. Now, there's different methodologies how to go about that. But if we understand how Jesus interpreted the Bible, then we can understand how we can then interpret the Bible. And what popped into my mind as I was reading that was the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talked about the oral law, the oral tradition, he would say, you have heard it has been said, but I tell you, and then he interpreted that. So at the center of all interpretation has to be Jesus himself. And the method that he interpreted the scripture, how he interpreted it, and what conclusions he came to, that's the key for you and me. How do I understand it? exactly the way he understood it. And if I can put those two things together, then the light begins to come on. And let me say as a, a side note here, Pastor, I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I mean, a long time. I remember reading the King James Version of the Bible and being so confused I didn't know where up was because I didn't have a biblical background. And when the NIV came, or when the New, Inter, when the New International Version came out, or some of the other paraphrases, I picked it up, and as a pastor, it kind of frightened me because I thought, oh, the interpretation has already been done. What am I going to say? It was easy to start explaining the King James because of the archaic language and et cetera and et cetera, but it became so clear. But I will tell you now, after studying the Bible for all of these years, I know more today, have learned more today in the last over the last 10 years than I knew on the free, previous decades. Biblical interpretation and understanding builds on itself. It compounds itself. As I know little, I know a little bit more. That leads to a little bit more. And your, your education, your understanding, your heart for it increases exponentially. So we don't just go one, two, three, four, five. We go one, two, 10, 20, 50, 100, 300. So interpretation, as we understand, the key is Jesus. His key is how he interpreted the scripture. Our key is to learn from him and the methodology that he used. Hmm. And would you say that's uh, particularly emphasized like in Luke chapter 24? where it says that Jesus um, expounded to them in all of Scripture the things relating to himself? Absolutely, certainly. You know, I go back and I read Genesis. I need to be thinking Jesus. Hmm. I read Exodus. I need to be thinking Jesus. I read Job. I need to be thinking Jesus. 
you know, and help us all as I read Leviticus. I need to be thinking Jesus. Oh, well, I got to tell you, if you read the Bible with a Christ-centered hermeneutic, Leviticus comes alive. Yes. I mean, I I think I need to teach it sometime at the church, and I'll tell you why, because a lot of people talk about Leviticus like it's a joke. Right. But you know what? Those first seven chapters outlining the seven different sacrifices. Right. Absolutely. If you understand exactly what you're saying, that the hermeneutical key or the interpretive uh, key to the Bible is Jesus, well, then all of a sudden that puts the it puts the the burnt offering, the sin offering, the fellowship offering. They all get put in a new light where you understand. Okay, how does this point to Jesus? How would Jesus have interpreted this? And then all of a sudden, not only does the light come on, but it becomes captivatingly meaningful. Uh, this Sunday we've been studying through First Corinthians, right? Um, and this <clears throat> Sunday we're studying chapter five and. There's a really important point that Paul makes here, and he does it in actually another part of 1 Corinthians as well in chapter 10. But here in chapter 5, he throws in this little aside. It's not even his main point. His main point has to do with uh, dealing with someone who's in kind of bold face, proud sin in the church. But he, um, he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate with the unleavened bread, meaning uh, let us cleanse ourselves of, uh, of sin and celebrate Christ our Passover lamb. But, but when you understand that, then you go back and you reread Exodus and you're like, wait a second. Right. The Passover lamb wasn't just like a cool thing that God did. That was very intentional to point us to Jesus. And um, yeah, that's, that's so helpful. Well, um, you know, I know this is something that Graham Goldsworthy is very good at. I've read some of his other books. He has some books specifically about Christ in the Old Testament, interpreting Christ in the Old Testament. Right. And uh, we use that a lot for, I might have told you that I'm involved with a group called the Expositors Collective. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, we're having a, a, an event coming up in September, but one of our one of our key modules, maybe, I wouldn't say the key module, but I mean, on par with the top one or two important things that we want to communicate is exactly this, this idea of that the, the key to interpreting the Bible is, is Jesus. Um, and so, was that something you always knew or intuited, or was that, was that an aha moment that you had at one point? No, I think it was an aha moment. I mean, I think for everyone, if you come out of a non-Christian background as a young man, or as a young woman, you, you don't have those insights. You just begin to stumble along. And I think of all of, well, I'll give you one example. I was preaching one time, uh, probably had been a Christian about, oh, six or eight months, and I was preaching in a small country church. And I used uh, John chapter 1 uh, and said, as it introduced John the Baptist, and that was my introduction. And I went from there. This same John was on the Isle of Patmos and then started preaching Revelation. I didn't know there were two Johns in the Bible. Mm. I thought there was just one. Mm -hmm. So I think as we stumble along in the beginning trying to understand, those things come to us, but they came to to me very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. So when it finally dawned on me, that this Bible is a Jesus book. 
it changed everything. Mm. And if a person can part, ar, wrap their arms around that, it will change everything, just like you're talking about the Passover lamb. I mean, it just the light just comes on for everyone. What are some guidelines that you would give people so that we don't misinterpret the Bible? You know, I'm a real fan of Duval and Hayes, and I taught from their Bible, uh, from their book called Grasping God's Word. And if 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 a listener is intentional about really understanding biblical interpretation, it's an expensive book. It is a long book, but I would strongly suggest that you get that. They offer a system on how to interpret the Bible. And let me just borrow from that uh, four or five questions that they ask that should help everyone. I, I pick up my Bible and I read a passage of Scripture. It's a paragraph, it's a chapter, whatever it might be. But let's say it's just a paragraph, wherever it might be, Old or New Testament. They ask five questions. The first question is, what did this, what I've just read, what did it mean to the biblical audience? What did it mean to them? Not what does it mean to me today? What, how am I going to interpret that? But start with what did it mean to the biblical audience? Secondly, what's the difference between that biblical audience and us? What's the difference? We're not the same. What's the difference? The third question they ask is, what is the theological principle of this text? What's the principle? There's something going on here. There's a truth here. What is that? I write it down. Fourth, then how does that principle relate, <clears throat> relate or fit in with the rest of the Bible? And, and obviously, if I come up with a principle and I read someplace else, that that's completely false, then I need to go back and re-examine my principle. And then finally, number five is, how should the individual Christian then live out that principle? So if, if a person will take those five, five questions and just apply it to everything that they are uh, interpreting, it gives you a framework to keep you from falling off into holes. And you know, Pastor Nick, and you know these people, and I've known these people for years and years and years. They go into the Scripture, they extract a sentence, and they build a whole movement on that one sentence. It doesn't make any difference whether it conflicts with the old, new, or in whatever. They still stand on that one principle. I had a student one time jump up in class, challenge me, because he, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he said, oh, yes, God has eyes and God has feet and God has fingers and, and God has a nose and God smells and all these other things. And, and it was just, you know, I know God is a, I'm not sure he knew that God is a spirit, but he challenged me on that. But if you take that concept, then God must be a bird. God must be a chicken. And so if we follow this, just a few simple guidelines, it really helps us to stay on, stay on track. Now, how we live that out and how we can get to that point, you know, that's another thing. If I were going, if I was going to take a new Christian or, or a person that was really interested in going deeper into the Bible, I would give them four or five suggestions, simple, easy little suggestions. And that begins with number one, the translation of the Bible that you're going to read. 
You need to understand that a paraphrase is not a translation. You need to know that some translations are word for word and some are concept by concept. Concentrate on getting the right translation in your hands. Secondly, when I read a passage of Scripture, one of the first things I do is I underline all the verbs. What's going on? I tell you, it'll be an eye-opening exercise for you just to underline the verbs. Third, place the text in context. It's interesting that verse 14 follows verse 13. I mean, you don't have to be a mathematical genius to get that figured out, but there's a reason that verse 14 falls between verse 13 and verse 15. Put it in context. Fourth, I tell, tell people, come to your own personal conclusions. What are your personal conclusions? And I would follow these five things that I've given you before. And then and only then start searching for help. Look at your concords. Con, uh, con, uh, con, put it in context. Look at your own personal conclusions. Look at the culture. Look at all these other things. But come to your own personal understanding first and then go and seek helps outside that. Get a good concordance. Look at all those things. And finally, it's this, that good illustrations about a text are not interpretations of that text. The interpretation has to come first. Once you have the truth, then you can illustrate the truth mm -hmm. and not backwards. I've heard people say, and I probably have said in the past, you know, why are you telling that story? doesn't have anything to relate to anything. I just want to hear the story again. That's foolishness. Mm -hmm. Interpretation comes first, and then illustration comes next. Mm. Those are great, really helpful principles. I mean, I hope that our listeners are taking notes. And that's the nice thing about this podcast format is that they can always go back good. and listen again. And uh, I know I do that with uh, good podcasts, and I would be doing that if I was listening to this. So what do you think are some you, – you've mentioned some of these in in the context of what you've been saying already, but maybe you could just expound quickly on some thoughts about what do you think are some common errors, pitfalls, and mistakes that people make when it comes to interpreting the Bible? Yeah, uh, I think number one, and one that frightens me, is let's set a scene of a small group in a home and you've got 10 people in that home. The leader, meaning well, with a good heart, and I'm sure with a challenge in his or her voice, says, all right, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to ask each one of you, what does it mean to you? Big-time pitfall. Mm. It's immaterial. I mean, it's immaterial. What does this mean to you? That's not the issue. The issue is, what does it mean? Mm. Period. Because Mary says, well, it means to me up, and John says it means to me down, and David says it means to me sideways, and all of this confusion takes place. The key is not as it what does it mean to me. That's immaterial. The key is what did it mean to Jesus? What is he trying to tell us? Now, you know, I, I believe with all my heart that God wrote the Bible in order for the Bible to be understood. He expects us to understand the Scripture. But there are some places that are tough. I mean, theologians have been arguing about some points for the, fast, <clears throat> the last 300 years. 
Yeah, and I've uh, we did an episode on that topic uh, a while back. A couple of different versions of that, but that gets to issues of theological um, method and and the question of why do people come to different conclusions. And uh, there's a lot there's a lot of overlap in some of these topics. But I think that what what you're giving people is is really helpful. This is a, um, a system with, uh, you say, Duvall and Hayes. And I'm going to put that a link to that book in the show notes as well as the book uh, from Graham Goldsworthy Good. that you Good. quoted from earlier, uh, Gospel and Kingdom. Any other thoughts on like errors and mistakes that people make? I, I've noticed um, recently, um, I've been you know, corresponding with a few people, and I'll have people who and I'm not sure what's behind it. Maybe it's that they come with, uh, maybe it's an eisegetical idea where they're, they've already made up their mind about something right. and they're trying yes. to jam that square peg into a round hole. Um, but I also noticed this, that some people, what they'll do sometimes, they will take one part of a section or a verse and they'll ignore the rest of it, right? So they'll treat this part hyper-literally but they'll treat the other parts as if they didn't even pay any attention to them. And they're, they're a bit inconsistent in their uh, interpretation. Any, any ways that we can avoid pitfalls in those areas? I think there's, I think there's two things that popped in my mind, uh, Pastor Nick, when you said that. One was, um, when I first went to university and was studying for my bachelor's degree, a group of, quote, theologians within the school who were so smart, these other students came to me and said, ask me the question, are you a premillennialist, Roy? I didn't have a clue what a premillennialist was. But as they began, they would we'd sit around and have coffee and they would argue with one another. And here's the issue that I found about the book of Revelation. The people like you're talking about, they all come and say, all of this is allegory. All of this is symbolic until they came to one verse and they said, this is literal. That's symbolic. This is literal. And it always, it always troubled me that who is it that makes the rules on what is symbolic and what is, riddle, is literal? And I think that may grow out of the second point, and that is, and that, that comes back to what you were talking about. And what I was saying, you know, verse 14 comes between 13 and 15, and they all go together. You can't just isolate them. All of us, whether we mean well or not, bring traditions and thoughts and ideas and background with us as we come to the Bible. I used to do this in class. I would say to the class, I want you to think about Jonah. And tell me what pops into your mind, the first thing that pops into your mind and consistently, someone would say, well, I can see the picture um, because of what Disney did. Uh, this fella is sitting at a table. There's a lamp on the table, and he's within the, quote, whale's belly. We all bring images and backgrounds with us as we interpret the Bible. And we need to understand that we've got to get, be they may be good or they may be bad, but we've got to get beyond what we drag forward and place then our ideas upon the truth of the Scripture rather than the other way around. Hmm. What do you think about the topic of genre? How much does understanding biblical genres um, play into the way that we interpret? How important would you say that it is? Oh, I think it's vital. I think it's vital. You know, I'm teaching through Mark's gospel right now. Uh, it, it's a story. 
You've, it's biblical, it's historical, it's accurate, it's true, but it's a story. You know, when Mark says everyone in the entire city came out, the entire town was standing out there looking at Jesus. Well, no, they weren't. I mean, the entire city was not out there. So I know it's a story. I know it's a narrative. I've got to approach it that way. When I go back and look at poetry, I've got to understand this is poetry. It's poetry. It, it's critical. Genre must be interpreted as genre. We don't we don't write. We don't you know we, we say this is a piece of classical music. It's not rag ragtime. It's and, and you interpret it music that way. Same way with scripture. Yeah, like David says that I was. Swimming in my tears. Right. Was he right. literally swimming in right. his tears? Right. Or is this poetic, um, sure. is a poetic tool that he's using to communicate an idea? Right. I was crying a lot. Absolutely. He was just bawling his eyes out, what he was doing, certainly. Yeah. But even bawling your eyes out, right? Your eyes aren't literally coming Rolling out. So, on the floor. Right. So that, that's the point of understanding uh, turns of phrase, understanding these sorts of things becomes important. I think that sometimes the failures in biblical interpretation can come from expecting something to be literal when it's not meant to be literal, or perhaps even the other way around. I'm sure it could go, it could cut both ways where you're, you're reading something and you're thinking that this is meant to be allegorical or that it's meant to be a word picture where in, in reality it's meant to be taken literally. That, that is a great question about Revelation. I've always said that to people. I said, this is what's difficult about the book of Revelation is that it's a book full of word pictures and symbols and allegories and some things are meant to be taken literally and some things are meant to be taken allegorically and yet there's absolutely no... Uh, guide for what that is, other than we're seeking to use understanding genre, understanding, um, you know, trying to intuit from this book, looking at how it's been understood historically. Um, but if we come at it uh, glibly, I think that we, uh, we're not doing, that's not a good way to approach it. I agree completely. You know, there will be a day coming, uh, Pastor Nick, when it all becomes crystal clear. That's right. I mean, there are some things about the Bible, they're crystal clear. But we must understand that God is God. And if I knew everything about Him, understood everything about Him, I would also be God, and I don't. There's some tough stuff. You know, you and I could sit down and, and completely disagree about a passage of Scripture and both come of it, come toward it or to it with, with the same glee and joy and depth and understanding, it's just tough stuff. And, and, and that's what I was arguing with these guys in, in college about. Who is it that becomes the ultimate interpreter? Is that you or is that me or is that somebody else? And so I think that we understand as the Holy Spirit gives us enlightenment as we personally can understand. But understanding there is still just one truth, just mm -hmm. one. There's not three, mm -hmm. there's just one. Yeah, and that's a great point, right? Right now we see as in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see clearly, and that's good news. And uh, I think that when you understand that, on the one hand, it gives you a lot more uh, grace towards people. But, but as you said, some things in the Bible are clear, and we want to stand on those things uh, pretty firmly and, and boldly. 
I think this is really good. You know, I think that just in summary, thinking about one of the things you said is that the the Bible is a book about Jesus from beginning to end. That is so helpful. Because I think what could happen is in this talk about how how sometimes some passages of the Bible are difficult to understand. You know, I would not want anybody to say, oh, well, then I shouldn't read it because I'll probably misunderstand it. And there's certainly been church groups, and uh, I would call them pseudo-Christian groups, like, um, well, I'm not going to get into that right now, but pseudo-Christian groups um, that have literally instructed people not to read their Bibles. Uh, Which is sad. Because you will read it wrong, is what they say. And, um, you know, I, I read a thing from Augustine. Augustine had a manual on biblical interpretation that he wrote, and it was called On Christian Doctrine. And what he said in that manual is he said, um, you know, all of Scripture is not equally clear. Some parts are very clear. Some parts are less clear. But he said this, what should we do with the less clear parts? He said, you should still read them. Read them, get them into your mind, get them into your heart, and be praying and asking God to give you understanding and interpretation. But get them into your mind and heart because you'll never you know, have the opportunity to be processing them in all the various ways that we do, uh, unless it's already in you. So maybe you could have a final word on that about, um, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and Nick, you and I would both agree <clears throat> that the things I understand today fully, I did not understand 40 years ago. And that's what I was talking about, understanding exponentially. As I was saying, I'm teaching through Mark right now. I know more about the first two chapters of Mark today than I've ever known before. Have have I taught Mark before? Yes. Have I studied Mark before? Yes. But as we go along, those things which were fuzzy, if we'll just stay with it, become more clear and more clear and more clear. So to that person who would say, well, don't don't read your Bible. Let the church do the interpretation for you because you don't have enough sense to do it. I would say I, I completely disavow that because as I read and as I go on and as I study, enlightenment comes. I can remember clearly, clearly in prayer one day saying to God, Lord, I am so ashamed. I wish I had been a better son. I wish I'd have been a better son. I know I'm forgiven. I understand I understand that, but I wish I'd have been a better son. I wish I could have gone back and lived my life perfectly. And it was as if the Holy Spirit revealed. He did speak to me, revealed to me, you will get that chance. You're going to get that chance. There's a place called heaven, and you get to live that out as perfectly as you want to. But that wasn't something I understood 50 years ago, but it is something I understand today. So don't give up. Stay in the Scripture. Stay before God. And those fuzzy things have a wonderful way of becoming sharper and sharper and clearer and clearer. Stay in the Scripture. Mm, Amen. I love that. Dr. Roy, thank you so much for being with us today. And let's say, if any of our listeners, I know we have listeners all all over the world and all over the United States, but let's say there is somebody who's local here around Longmont or the Northern Front Range, and maybe you could tell them where you where you teach your Bible study and, and maybe some details on how to get there. Sure. Um, I've taught in a number of places here in the area, uh, but we are absolutely committed to Whitefields Community Church. It's on the east side of Longmont. 
Um, and uh, I teach beginning at 8 o'clock in the morning. We have a, a, just a few moments of fellowship and coffee and a couple of sweet rolls or something and slap each other on the back and hug each other. And then I teach uh, beginning about 8, 10 to about uh, 5 minutes to 11 every Sunday morning. And I teach on Sunday, and two days later it's Sunday again, and two days later it's Sunday again. So I spend a lot of my time studying. But that's, And I would encourage everyone, if you want to hear biblical instructions, come to Whitefields Community Church. You're going to get it from the pulpit, and you'll get it from the Bible studies that we have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Roy, for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Hi, this is Pastor Al Pittman. I want to invite you to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend at Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel here in Colorado Springs. It's on September the 17th to the 18th. Look forward to seeing you there. Hope you make plans to join us. If you want more information, go to expositorscollective.com. That's expositorscollective.com. God bless you.